morning. And thank you to your church and staff for inviting me to speak today. It's a pleasure and I'm honored to be asked. So today, uh, in keeping with the theme of the month, I'm going to talk about generosity. The title of my talk is Gospel Patrons, which I have stolen completely from this little blue book <laughs> called Gospel Patrons. It's a book by John Reinhardt that I highly recommend. Obviously, it's in paperback, so you can afford it. And I am uh, basically going through the introduction of his book, and then I'll get into some of the Bible passages. So I give him full credit for the beginning of this sermon. <laughs> so John, if you're watching, <laughs> enjoy your book again. He asks a couple of penetrating questions, which he uh, explains throughout the book. His two questions that he writes about are these. How has God worked through people to change the world? Second question, how do we become those kind of people? So hopefully we'll ask and answer those today. When God raised up preachers and missionaries to lead great movements of the gospel, he also raised up patrons to come alongside those leaders as partners in the work. For instance, in the 1500s, an Englishman named William Tyndale, who probably some of us have heard of, wanted to translate the Bible into English. And he, he was uh, able to speak uh, and read Greek and Hebrew. So for a thousand years, the Bible had been Latin, and so none of his countrymen could read scripture. So he wanted them to get to know the God of the Bible, and that was his desire. The problem was Bible translation was illegal, and if you did so, you would be killed. So it was a control issue. <laughs> but God intervened through a godly businessman named William Tyndale, or excuse me, through the businessman named Humphrey Monmouth. Who's ever heard of Humphrey Monmouth? <laughs> if it wasn't for Humphrey Monmouth, we wouldn't ever have known the name William Tyndale. So even, uh, even though he was a businessman, he got interested in this and came to Tyndale and said, I want to support you. He, he might not have used these terms, but he became Tyndale's gospel patron. He provided for him. In other words, he fed him, housed him while he was doing this work of translating. And then when he had finished the New Testament, which he did first, he used his... Uh, uh, the businessman Henry Humphrey used merchant ships, his ships, to smuggle these New Testaments all over England, risking his life as well as Tyndale's. Very few people have heard his name, but his partnership with Tyndale changed the world. And th those kind of stories are in this book. So, Do you wonder what drives people like him? What made them so different from their fellow church goers of their day or even ours what gets into a guy to want to do that much he wasn't content to be a spectator and he engaged in a generous and a missional project so in 2000 in our time bill and melinda gates started a foundation they launched it with an asset base of 16 billion dollars later nebraska's own warren buffett declared his intent to leave $40 billion to charity. Gates and Buffett later teamed up and they asked uh, who they identified as the richest people in America, 
about 400 of them, to leave 50% of their wealth to charity. They went around on a tour almost saying, let's all give half of this to charity, half of this wealth we have. I remember Buffett's saying, which was quoted in the newspaper, there are many ways to heaven, but this is a good one. I fear he hasn't read the English version of the Bible yet. <laughs> especially Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, which read, For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, lest anyone would boast. So, anybody want to drive up to Omaha and talk to Warren? <laughs> These philanthropists may sound like gospel patrons, but they are very different. They're mostly interested in educating the minds of fellow humans, taking care of the bodies of fellow humans, but the gospel patrons are more interested in the eternal souls of their fellow humans. You might begin to wonder if being a gospel patron is just for the super rich like these guys, but God wants to see our faithful stewardship whether we have little or much. Do you remember the parable of the talents? The person who originally received five talents and the person who received two talents both did well but both were uh, received the same commendation from the master that they'd done well well done good and faithful servant the bible tells us that god cares less about how much we're giving and more about what we do with what we have giving to build the kingdom of god is a focused application of the gospel. In eternity, hearing Jesus say, well done, will be all that really matters. Let's look at a few biblical patrons and, and uh, answer the question, have you ever wondered how was Jesus able to fund his ministry during those three years? He was preaching and touring from town to town. He had all his disciples with him who he asked to quit their jobs. I wonder how he ate. He fed 5,000, but surely not every meal was a miracle event. Scripture says three generous women named Mary, Joanna, and Susanna came alongside Jesus and the disciples provide for their ministry. In Luke 8, we read this. Soon afterwards, he, Jesus, went through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who'd been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of, I think it's Huzza, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. So these three women provided for Jesus out of their means. They were involved and invested in his ministry. Jesus had gospel patrons. In Acts, we meet Priscilla and Aquila, a, a wife and husband. They were business people. They hosted a church in their home, 
and they supported a young pastor named Apollos, and they helped him with his theology. They partnered with Paul at the risk of their lives, and you can read in Acts 18 and uh, 1 Corinthians 16 about that. Paul says this, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. And speaking of the book of Luke and Acts, the reason we are reading those books is because, probably because, of a Greek man named Theophilus, who's mentioned at the beginning of both books. The Gospel of Luke says, It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely from some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. And then in Acts 1, the first two verses read, In the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. It's very likely that Theophilus funded Luke to do that writing. I wonder if he had any idea that he was underwriting two books of the Bible. What a thought. Then there's the high praise that we find in Scripture for a woman named Phoebe. Phoebe used her home to house missionaries who came by, as well as the church in her city. She assisted Paul and many others financially. She's considered to be the person who hand-carried Paul's letter to the church in Rome, just a foundation of the New Testament. Paul described her with the title patron, in fact, in Scripture. He says, Welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in any way whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Let these stories soak in for a minute. Can you imagine yourself walking up to Jesus and handing him money for his money, for his ministry directly? Can you see yourself doing that? Ladies, can you see yourself doing what these women did? Can you imagine carrying Paul's letter to the church in Rome and supporting his ministry financially? Wow. Is it not interesting that so many of the patrons that are mentioned in Scripture happen to be women? Husbands, maybe we should be asking our wives for advice on giving. <laughs> if you are already doing so, then you are doing well. You might remember the scary story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5. But just preceding them is the story of the good example, the good steward who's Barnabas. He's the scriptural example of a good steward. And he was a gospel patron of the apostles who were, who were church staff in the first church in Jerusalem. So I was recently on a retreat here uh, in America with a, a businessman who hosted a group of seven. It was in Memphis. His company's doing well and has thrived for years. He reported that the first year they did business, it was out of a garage with his brother and a handful of workers, their company was able to 
create a profit, and from that they gave $50,000 to charity, to Christian ministries. And they were excited to do so much. Well, over the years, this business has thrived, and they would say God has blessed them. And last year, they gave $21 million to charity, to Christian ministries. So it's an amazing story, and uh, I was honored to get invited to that, to just have them host this business meeting, this retreat. He sets his salary at $100,000. If you take $100,000 and divide it into $21 million, <laughs> it's about 1%. So he's tithing or giving something like 99% and living on one. Now, the one is a nice number. But, oh my gosh, can you imagine having that kind of wealth and deciding to cap your own salary? so that you can give more and more and more as the company grows. It would be fun to be an employee of that company. He's a modern-day gospel patron, as are we. He enlists the help of his employees to research how to give that much money away. It's almost too much for a person or a family to get it all given. So his employees actually help him decide where in the world God's doing something exciting that they want to support. And so he's, en he's enlisted uh, people in his company to help him give this money. Again, what a fun company to work in. I learned when I was there of another uh, Christian group of investors who've banded together to hire missionaries to go to the hardest places to penetrate on earth with the, with the gospel. In the year 2000, there was about 7,500 of uh, people groups that had never heard the gospel and had zero believers in, the, in their tribe or in their uh, people group. That was in 2000. Today, it's down to 400. The 400 toughest, but it's down to 400. This is very exciting news. There's a group of about 90 investors who've come together to try to finish the 400. They call it the finishing fund. And they're hiring missionaries who, who have the expertise to go into these places to try to finish the Great Commission. It'll happen, according to their timeline, within three or four years. That means for most of us, we're going to be alive when the Great Commission is fulfilled. That is shocking. It's amazing. It's never happened before. It'll happen in our lifetimes if we're blessed to live for a few more years. You know, I was alive when the first man was put on the moon. And I'll never forget it, but this is a way bigger deal. Amen. Yeah, amazing. So in scripture, we're asked to take the gospel to all the nations, and that word is ethnos, uh, an ethnic group, you might say, and to hear the gospel and to get a believer in every nation. Just not a believer, but also a disciple. So to, for you guys to be disciples, you need to be in a community of believers and maturing by the leadership that's uh, allowed to you and by God's blessing. So these guys want to, as soon as they're done, 
this group of investors want to move to part two, which is to have a, a healthy church in every tribe, which would be making disciples. And so it isn't that the Great Commission is finished because Jesus asked to say, he said, make disciples of all ethnos. And so that's a, a yet another job. But to see a believer in every language would mean that Jesus is being prayed to and praised in every language on earth. And that could happen in our day. I pray it does. I, and they're confident it will. There's a website that I looked at called, and it's a long name, but it's howrichami.givingwhatwecan.org. <laughs> on, on the website, you can plug in a salary and see where you rank in the world according to riches. So I looked up the average salary for a household in Lancaster County, where we live, and the average for our county is 50,000 per household. Now, a lot of those are two working people and all that, but that's our average. That salary ranks as right at the top 10% of the world. I don't think anybody living in Lincoln who's making 50,000 thinks, I'm the rich because we know Warren Buffett's up the street in Omaha, right? You'd be making seven times the average global income, annual income. On our planet, the average income is about $7,000. You couldn't do that in Lincoln. You just couldn't do it. If you're making 75,000, just a little more, you make the top 5% of the world. Hmm. So in global terms, we are the rich. And if you've been on a missions trip to any other nation outside of ours, I know I don't have to convince you. I think you already know it's true. A couple more statistics, and then we'll get back to some scripture. This Christmas, as, U as U.S. citizens, we're going to spend a trillion dollars on Christmas. Just imagine if a tithe of that was available to help the needy and to make memories with our family. It would be a hundred billion dollars, just a tenth of it, to change the world and to share the gospel. Not all of us in America are Christians, so you know that number would have to be somewhat less, but if it was half of that, wow, what could we do with that? So let's turn to 1 Timothy then as, as, uh, to finish up for today. Paul's writing his young pastor friend, Timothy, giving him instruction as a pastor of his flock. And he says, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. So the goal of 
being a generous steward is not to become penniless, but to enjoy what God has given us and to be generous and ready to share. You might remember Paul went back to Jerusalem to check to see if his gospel was proper. And they tested him and said, yep, you're good. And we want you especially to remember the poor. At the time, the poor would have been defined by scripture, actually, as the widow, orphan, and alien. And so he, he was uh, pleased to say, well, that's the very thing I want to do. So here we are in America. We're blessed to live in the richest nation on earth. I asked Siri the other day, give me a list of the richest nations. It came out, the United States holds 29% of the world's wealth out of, what is there, 300 million of us, and there's 7 billion or so humans, and we hold 29% of the wealth. The next closest country is China at 18%, and it falls way down after that. There's a ton of wealth here in the U.S., and we d we're all swimming in it, so it's sort of like living in Disneyland. You don't realize it's all rainbows and unicorns here, until you leave and come back. It's hard to imagine how well off we are compared to the world. If God has blessed us with so much wealth, I wonder how we could participate as gospel patrons then at this point in history. And I can see you're, you're already doing this, so I'm, I'm preaching to the choir a little bit here. But I want to stir your imagination as well. We're always to remember the poor. We know that from Paul's test. But could we also ask God for his guidance for what else to support? Our local church, other projects that we become aware of? Would you consider this Christmas season to put part of your Christmas budget, your little part of that 100 billion I mentioned, <laughs> into caring for the poor I see your church is doing, and part of it for, for creating a meaningful memory with your family to enjoy what God's given you, but to give him credit for that as well. That way you'll be enjoying what's got, what God has given your family and then sharing for the poor and those outside his kingdom. We can take hold of life that is truly life. Let's all ask God to make us generous stewards experiencing the joy of building his kingdom and increasing his family of faith. Let's pray. Lord, I'm thankful to you for this opportunity to visit with my friends here at First Covenant. Thank you for their continued interest and generosity. Lord, thank you for the wealth that you've put into their hands would you whisper into the souls of those who attend here the projects that you would have each family support, both at church and around the world? Lord, you ask us to number our days, to make them really count for eternity. Help us to fulfill the great commandment, to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Help us be generous with the time you've ordained for us, the talents you've given each one of us, and the wealth you've trusted us with. Amen.